Hello friend, do you ever wonder what's going to happen next? How can we ever get the images of Japan out of our minds? Think of this tremendous tsunami. I've never seen anything like it. I believe with all my heart that God is sending a wake-up call to the nations of this world. That message is, get ready because Christ is coming soon. I believe that Christ is also sending a wake-up call to the church. I want you to know today, this cannot be business as usual. We have a work to do. And the Bible tells me we are called to go into all the world and to preach the everlasting gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ the Lord. I want you to join me, my friend, in the great nations of the world, in world evangelism. We're working in China, join us. I want you to join us in India. We've got a television program in India. It is a land of more than a billion souls. Join us in India. I want you to join us in Russia and Ukraine and here in the United States of America, in Australia, all around the world where people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I say this because I've got a fire in my soul. Jesus is coming soon and you and I have got a work to do. Please write to me today, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358 in the South Pacific. Write to me at Beautiful Terrigal. The address is now appearing on the screen. Listen, my friend, Jesus is coming soon. We must work while it is day because the night is coming. The topic today is the Christian's Dilemma. And we're going to talk about the baby that never grew up. Stay with us for this great presentation today and this great message. But now, let me introduce to you David Castanon. Would you please welcome him today? Our God is healing. 
Father, awesome in power, our God, our God. Water you've turned into wine, open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you There's none like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you There's none like you Oh, oh, oh. our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against and if our God is for us then who could ever stop us and if our God is with us then what could stand against us our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Going to talk today about the baby that never grew up. But firstly, I want to show you some pictures of a little baby that is growing up. Aww. Now, you got to admit, you know, I just got away with her. She just loves me. <laughs> you can see that, can't you? Uh, now, just all say, ah, oh. let's hear it. Yeah, that's right. Now, isn't she a cutie? Uh, oh, I tell you. Do you think she looks like me? Yeah, thank you, Ron. Double indulgence for you today, Ron. Now, it's great when they're like this, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? But it'll be a tragedy if they never grew up. And this little girl, Amelie, is starting to grow up. She is six months and 18 days old. And uh, Julie tells me, She's walking. Of course she's not. 
<laughs> but she's doing some high steps by the looks. Folks, God gave us babies, but babies need to grow up. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the Christian's dilemma. Now, what's a dilemma? Well, a dilemma is a thing, you know, there's a conflict and you've got problems and you, sometimes you don't know what to do. You say, it's a dilemma. We're going to talk about the Christian's dilemma, something which is sometimes confusing and a conflicting situation. And you need to understand this because if you don't understand this, maybe it's because you don't understand the truth of the Bible on the gospel. I want you to take your Bibles down, turn with me firstly today to the book of Romans. Romans, and I want you to come over here to uh, chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 1. And I want you to notice these texts because these texts are, are so positive and upbeat and so uplifting. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Now come to verses 12 to 14. Therefore brothers we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, it says you will die. So what, what was all this about assurance? The Bible says if you don't do something or if you do do something, the Bible says you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So the Bible talks here about people who are led by the Spirit of God. They're the sons of God. But the Bible says, if you live according to the sinful nature, the Bible says you're going to die. Now come to verse 22 and 23. The Bible says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. The Bible says until our bodies are redeemed, there's going to be some groaning. I wonder why. This is the dilemma. And if you look at verse 28, verse 28 will be fine. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, come back, if you don't mind, please, to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Hey, I thought we were saved and redeemed, and we don't know what we ought to even pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This is serious matter. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. So the Bible tells me that I can know that I'm right with God. I can have an assurance that I can sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I can know that I'm redeemed and I'm going to heaven. But the Bible says, while I'm doing this, 
and I live according to the sinful nature, the Bible says you're going to die. And that is the Christian's dilemma. Let me tell you folks this. Now, this is something that is not actually popular theology. It is easy to become a Christian. The steps are very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you're going to be saved. It's easy to become a Christian. But I want to tell you folks something. It's not easy to stay a Christian. Easy to become a Christian, but it's not easy to stay a Christian. Some years ago, when we were in Glendale, I ran a campaign in Glendale, as you may remember. This is about uh, 14 or 15 years ago. We baptized a lady, and after I baptized her, she told me she'd been married eight times. Now, she was a Hollywood star. Uh, she was quite a famous person. She'd been married eight times. It's easy to get married, but it's not always easy to stay married. Ask this lady. And I said, what happened to your husband? She said, they all died. <laughs> and I met her husband number eight. I said, how are you? He said, I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> it makes you think, doesn't it? But I want you folks to know something. It's a little bit like becoming a Christian. It's not that hard to come into a church and raise your hand and to make a profession of Christ. But it's hard to stay a Christian. I want you to let this sink down into your minds. What you believe makes you what you are. And that is something that most people haven't even thought about. What you believe makes you what you are. Whether you're an Adventist or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Roman Catholic or a Muslim, what you believe makes you what you are. Everybody says to me, well, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. The Apostle Paul said there were different gospels, but only one true gospel. You've all heard of that great person that we've looked up to and highly esteemed for so many years, Mother Teresa, who worked with the lepers in Calcutta and other places. But after she died, it was discovered from her letters that were published that Mother Teresa had never known one single hour of peace. She believed a gospel, but not the gospel of the Bible. And Mother Teresa spent her life in deep depression, suicidal, and even contemplated on occasions becoming an atheist. So don't tell me it doesn't matter what you believe, because what you believe makes you what you are. And today, I want you to get to understand, by the grace of God, the truth about the gospel. Now, back to the Christian's dilemma. I want you to come over here to Matthew 11 and verse 28 and onwards. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 and onwards. 
Matthew 11 verse 28 and onwards. I just love these words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's absolutely beautiful. Christ says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I'm going to tell you the dilemma. When you become a Christian, and you accept his rest, you have peace. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And if that is so, then why is there so much struggle? And you say, I don't have any struggle. Well, then you've got a problem. Because the saints of God in the Bible, like St. Paul, had a struggle. The dilemma. Here it is. The challenge of following Christ and his teachings and the consequent struggle. When I get through today, you'll understand why people don't read their Bibles. I'm going to show you today what a true Christian is, what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. Now when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everybody was glad and shouting hallelujah. And then Jesus went up on a mountain near the Sea of Galilee, the northern area. And he sat down. A mountain in the Bible is symbolic of a kingdom. The city of Babylon was called a mountain. The great stone of Daniel 2 becomes a mountain because a mountain symbolizes the kingdom. And when Jesus went up on the mountain and gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about the laws and the principles, not of the United States of America or of Great Britain, but he was talking about the laws and the great truths that are the foundation of his kingdom. What it takes to be a real Christian. Now what we're going to notice now is a description of a true Christian, a follower of Christ. Now you may say to me, "Is do you think this is that important? I want to tell you from my heart, this is a matter of life and death. What a tragedy if you should follow a certain teaching and have absolute confidence that you're saved and when you come up in the resurrection, it's the resurrection of the lost. Would that be a tragedy? Mm -hmm. And therefore, I want to show you today what Jesus said is a true Christian. And he gave it in Matthew chapter 5 on the mountain. Remember, the mountain symbolizes the kingdom. And so now he's giving the laws about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and onwards. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up 
on a mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, now I'm going to share, share many texts with you today, but because of the brevity of the time we spend here, I'm going to go through some of these things quickly. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who are saved are spiritually poor. The next verse, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The people who are his disciples are mourners. They mourn because of their inadequacies and their sins. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A true disciple is a meek person. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A true disciple is hungry and thirsty for God all the time. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. A disciple of Christ is merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A disciple of Christ is pure. He doesn't look at pornography, anything like that. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A disciple of Christ prays and works for peace. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A true disciple of Christ will experience at times in his life the fire of persecution. And if you never experience it, perhaps you should doubt whether you are a disciple. Now, we're going to notice some of the laws that are so specific. Look at verse, uh, verse 13. Verse, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Jesus says, be genuine, be salty Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, be a light. Verse 18 and 19, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until Everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. People who don't read their Bible say, the Old Testament is a book that is full of laws and commands. It is. They say, thank God that we have the New Testament. They obviously haven't read it. And these are the words of Jesus who would today be accused of the sin of legalism because he's saying do, do and be. Look at verse 20. Don't get angry with me. 
Jesus said it. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if you are going to be my disciple, you will be better than the most religious people in the world. The Pharisees were the most religious people in the world. Jesus said, the Pharisees come to church at 9 o'clock, you come at 8.30. You are to be better and higher than all the people in the world. Matthew 5, 21, 22. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, be not angry. Not a case of not murdering. Jesus said, don't even, don't even get angry. Verse 23 and 24, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, be conciliatory. Don't sue people. Verse 27, 28. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says, be pure inside. You say, what sort of religion is this? This is not like the religion of my church. This is the religion of Christ. He's talking about those who are the citizens of his kingdom. Verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, he says, be a one marriage person. He says, I wonder if Jesus would fit into our churches or would he be disfellowshipped? Verse 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is by God's throne, or by the earth. Verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Jesus would say today, how can you inherit the kingdom of God when you blaspheme and say, oh my God. Such will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said, don't swear. Say yes and no. Then he said, be gracious. Look at verse 38 and onwards. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You know what Jesus is referring to, don't you? 
the Romans who were the occupying power. Think, my American friends, if America were occupied by the Russians. And Jesus says, he said to his disciple, if the occupier comes along and says, carry my bag, the law said he had to do it for a mile. And if a Pharisee was asked, he would carry it for a mile and look for a puddle of mud and drop it in. Jesus said, your righteousness must be better than that. Carry it two miles. Who is this man? He brought to the world the most revolutionary teachings, but most of those who claim his name have never read them. You see, the Bible talks about the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. Christ is the Messiah. Everybody wants Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Jesus means Savior. People want to be saved, but they do not want him as Lord, and Lord is Master. And here Jesus is giving the lordship teachings of the kingdom of God. Describing those who are going to be saved. Is this too hard for you? My friend, uh, these words will judge you and me in the last days. Verse 43 and 44. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If this were so, all of the attorneys would be out of jobs. Do not deceive yourselves into thinking that you are a Christian if you are not. Jesus said, you are called to love the person who is suing you, the mean person, the person that you do not like because nobody can like him the narrow-minded religious humbug who comes into church and flouts her spirituality but knows nothing of God's love. Jesus said, love that person. He said, don't just love your friends, but love your enemies. Chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Be humble. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. Be secretive of your good deeds. Do not be like the person who went to a great religious convention and gave a million dollars on condition that the television cameras were there. And they took pictures of the check that reached across the stage. Such a religion is humbug. A disciple of Christ will not let his left hand know what his right hand is doing. Verse 7. Verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Jesus said, don't be verbose. Get to the point. 
When you're talking to God, you won't impress him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, this is a sample prayer. Be personal with God. Call him Father. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Be forgiving. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Be smart. If you've got an alcohol problem, do not walk past the bar. Do not walk past the hotel. So Jesus said, a Christian will be as wise as a serpent. Be smart. Verse 16 and 17, when you fast, do not be somber as the hypocrites do. Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So Jesus said, do not have a long face. Jesus said, be joyful even when you fast. No wonder they put him on a cross. And verse 19 to 21, do not stir off yourselves treasures on earth where most and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but stir off yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be generous with God. Pay your tithes and pay your offerings. Maybe pay a double tithe, but be generous to God. Verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. He says, Do not be spiritually blind. When Jesus is talking here about the, the eye and the light, he's talking about spiritual perceptions, be able to have the gift of discernment and see what is right and what is wrong. These are his disciples. Now I'm going to summarize the rest of Christ's sermon without going through the texts. He goes on to say, and this was point 29 actually in my notes. I've gone through 28 points. Here's point 29. Be totally devoted to God. You can't love God and money, he says. Be totally devoted. Number 30 point. Don't love money, he says. If you love money, you are not my disciples, but you will be lost. Now that's a tough one. Because we live proudly in a capitalistic society where many people are taught that the wealthier you are, the better you are. That is not true. Jesus was a poor man. And not that we advocate that people be poor people and live off other people. We're not talking about that. But our Lord taught us that his truth goes into the soul. Don't love money. Then he said, don't worry. Don't be a warrior. Don't worry, he said. Look at the birds. They don't worry. And then he said, give God your best. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God must be first. 
Now he's talking about his disciples. Was Jesus the supreme legalist who was teaching us that we are saved by our works? Point number three, he said, don't condemn people. Number 34, look at your own faults, not at your brother's. He said, don't tell your brother that you're going to take the moat out of his eye when there's a piece of four by two in your own eye. So he said, don't be critical of human frailty. Number 35, be discerning. 36, be believing, full of faith. That was 37. And 38 is the toughest one of the whole lot which really distinguishes a child of God from a child of the devil. Look at Matthew 7. This is the same sermon. Verse 12. Verse 12, Matthew 7. This distinguishes a Christian from a pagan. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. A disciple of Christ will do to others what he would like others to do to him. Did you see this week when a presidential candidate had the temerity to say to a large crowd of people, maybe it's time that we practice the golden rule and did to others what we would like them to do unto us. He was booed. The hall was filled with people who were booing because, my friend, they do not understand this gospel. This gospel is not Americanism or British Israelitism or Australianism or any other ism. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and it sets a high standard. So it's easy to become a Christian. Jesus said, be narrow, verse 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, only if you find it. In comparison to the multitudes in the world, Jesus said, as far as truth is concerned, uh, you need to walk the narrow road. Not the wide road that goes down to hell. Point number 40, he said, be wise and keep your eyes open. Number 41, he said, be obedient, be listening. And number 42, he said, be a disciple. Now listen carefully, because if this is making you uncomfortable here today, maybe you need to be uncomfortable. But Jesus did not come to make people comfortable. Jesus came to set up a kingdom and to call out disciples. Jesus is not giving merely good advice. He's describing the citizens of the kingdom. No wonder, now listen to this, no wonder. Straight after Jesus gave this sermon, the Bible tells the story of the healing of the leper. No wonder. Look at Matthew 8, straight after this sermon. 
When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. You know why that story is there? You think it's by luck or by chance? That story is there because after you and I have read the principles of the kingdom of God, we discover we are what? We're lepers. Every one of us is a leper in constant need of the grace of God. Why should human flesh be proud or boast of anything when we are lepers and in need of the touch of Christ? The Christian dilemma, what is the solution? Can you now see why I asked the question about babies that don't grow up? Is that good? It is because we do not study the teachings of Christ and by the grace of God practice them that we have so many babies. Babies in church? Yes. Maybe somebody comes along to church and somebody is sitting in her seat and she says, well, I'm not going to go there anymore. She's a baby, never grown up. And then other people say, well, it's raining today and they pull the covers up. I guess the best place for babies to be is in bed. But it is a tragedy when a little baby doesn't grow up. It is a tragedy when a Christian stays in the same spiritual condition year after year. And remember, this is not an option that we're talking about. We're talking about salvation. The Christian's dilemma. What is the solution? There are two words that I've tried to teach you. And most people don't get it. One is standing and one is state. Say with me, standing. standing. Say it loud. Standing. standing. What's the next word? Standing. standing and state. I've written it over here on the blackboard. Standing and state. And I want to tell you how we can be his disciples. When I come to Christ, I come as a penitent sinner. And when I come to Christ and he justifies me by his blood, instantaneously I have a perfect standing with God. Amen. Better say amen to that. Amen. Especially if you're a leper. Now come over here to Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Now if you get this, it's going to change your life. It's going to make you a better person, going to make you a happier person. If you're a miserable person, it's going to change you. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, my friend. When I am justified, 
by the blood of Jesus, I get a perfect standing. 100% standing. I stand in the sight of a holy God as though I had never sinned, just like Jesus. It's a perfect standing. But what some people don't understand is this. They don't have a perfect state. <laughs> um, when I was back in Brisbane some time back, where my father went to work at the Cancross Dry Dock, I remember how ships would come into that dock, American warships, blown almost to pieces. When they were dragged up the Brisbane River, they got into the home of an ally. Hallelujah. They were out of the enemy's grasp. And when they got into the Cancross Dry Dock, they had a perfect standing. They were safe, but they weren't sound. They needed a lot of work. That's like us. We may have got into the dry dock, but we need, if you're like me, a lot of work. <laughs> what we need, a mighty infusion of grace, love, and an attitude of gratitude that's called holiness and sanctification. Now, as a pastor, and I pastored the biggest churches and the smallest, it is wonderful to baptize people, but that's not enough. They've got to grow in grace. It's wonderful to see babies grow up, but it's a tragedy. After 30 years, some people are no more mature. They're still going home because somebody said, boo. <laughs> They're still inhospitable. They're still the frozen chosen, but they haven't been chosen. They're not the children of God. They need, we need a mighty infusion of grace, love, and an attitude of gratitude to work on the state. It's easy to become a Christian. It's not easy to stay a Christian. Now, I'm going to contrast this. I'm going to put it up on one screen and then I'm going to put the other side and the other screen. If you understand this, it's going to help you. We're going to put up on one screen. Let's have it. We're going to put up, here it is. Over here we're going to put up sanctification uh, and, and we're going to put up where's justification going to go. Yeah, we've got to have justification. Now justification, my friend, gives me a perfect standing with God. Justification. Now, I'm going to give you a little theology, but what I'm telling you is the truth, even though most folks don't seem to get it. But you can get it. If I can get it, anybody can get it. Justification in the center there is a declaration. It is a declaration that the sinner is righteous. It is a a judicial statement. And it changes my standing from being lost to being saved. But sanctification, my friend, is a making of holiness. It is a work in the life. And that's what Jesus was talking about. 
He's talking about the work in the life. Justification, number two. Here it is, number two. Christ for me. He died for me. I am saved, not because of my works, but because he died for me, you say. And therefore, I will have an attitude of gratitude. You cannot be a miserable Christian. That's an oxymoron. But sanctification is Christ in me, which is the fruitage of Christ for me. Some of you are saying, well, what does it matter? Well, it better matter if you want to be saved. Point number three, justification is 100% complete. You can't add to it. If you have the perfect righteousness of God, you can't make that any better. You can have that as a gift. It's 100% complete, but if you are a disciple, the Spirit of God will come into you and start to work upon all that nastiness that's there. And it's incomplete. You can never come to the place where you can say, I am perfect, look at me. Point number four. The Bible says, in Christ, there is no condemnation. I can go to bed knowing that I'm going home to glory. There's no condemnation. But my friend, in sanctification, I have a sense of my sinfulness. You say, no, no, I don't got... Well, you go read Romans 7, and there you've got one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. If you're a true Christian, you'll be crying out every day, Lord, have mercy on this wretched man. And you won't be talking about somebody else. Point number five. Justification, a perfect standing. Sanctification, an imperfect state. Point number six. My standing is through the blood of Christ. I am redeemed through the blood, but I am sanctified or made holy in the life through the Spirit of God. And if he doesn't come into your life, it's because you haven't come to Christ. This standing, justification, happens in a moment of time. My friend, some of you don't know that. Some of you have got a real problem. You've got so much religion in you, bad religion, that you don't even understand what I'm saying. And maybe some of you are on the verge of committing the unpardonable sin because you've been hardening your hearts. You better think about that. You know why I'm telling you this? Because I want you to be saved. I get a perfect standing in a moment. But changing my state is a lifetime. In Christ, I have a perfect peace. But as the Spirit of God works on me, there's a struggle in my life. What about you? Point number nine, on the cross, the battle was won and finished. When I come to Christ, he accepts me as I am because his battle was finished on the cross, but the battle goes on in my life. Look at the blackboard. Justification is a declaration. It's not a making. This is sanctification. The declaration, Christ for me. Sanctification is Christ in me. 
This is 100%. It's through the blood. This is through the Spirit. So you see, it's, it's easy to become a Christian. It's not easy to stay one. Point number 10. This doctrine of the perfect standing is biblical, Protestant, and Adventist. And the doctrine of God changing the state might bad all nature. That's biblical, Protestant, and Adventist. There's such a thing as having a false security. You can only have a security if the fruits of the life show that you've been redeemed. That is why in the judgment we are judged not by faith but by works because the works show what I am. How do you feel about that? Let Jesus have the last word, shall we? Matthew 7. And this is the conclusion to his sermon that certainly amazed them. Matthew 7, 21 and onwards. He has the last word. Therefore, what he said, all of these things, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to do something else. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, what does it say? Come on. Puts them. What does it say? I want you to talk to me. What does it say? Puts them into what? Puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus, on another occasion, said, listen to it. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Amen. The Carter Report is a self-supporting ministry with a global mission. We believe that the most important thing that we can do in this tremendous hour is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We do not believe that this is business as usual. We believe that we are living in the closing hours in the history of this world. Bless your heart, friend. Look at the signs that are being fulfilled almost every day. The signs of the times are shouting at us and they're saying, Jesus is coming soon. I want you to be my partner in global mission. 
I want you to be my partner in helping to tell the world about the coming of Jesus. I want you to be my partner in the preaching of the distinctive truths of the three angels' messages. Please check us out at the new Carter Report website, carterreport.org. We have a special section whereby you can ask questions and I will give you the answers from the living Word of the living God. That is thecarterreport.org. My friend, we want you to join us in the mission to preach the gospel in China, in India, in Australia, in Africa, in the United States of America, wherever people are lost and wherever people need to hear the good news that Jesus saves. Please check us out. The new Carter Report website, carterreport.org. I want to hear from you today.